Welcome to You're the Boss, a mantra for anyone who's ever had to face their own fears, struggles, and even failures. Join host Larry Roberts for a deep dive into overcoming limiting beliefs and identifying where our pasts can shape us rather than define us to build a lifestyle and business filled with passion and purposeful leadership. Now your host, Larry Roberts. John Austinson is the foremost expert on non-food franchising. Having experience as an Inc. 500 franchisor, a multi-brand franchisee, a franchise investor, author, and consultant, John has a passion for educating and supporting others as they explore business ownership opportunities. John, welcome to the show, man. Appreciate you having me, Larry. Love the show and uh, looking forward to our conversation. Cool deal. So franchising, man, it is a hot Hot topic right now. You know, we're in this uh, this heavy, heavy entrepreneurship type world that is really, you're seeing a lot of people take that jump, jumping out of their nine to five and doing the entrepreneurship thing. And I think franchising, at least from my perspective, is a great way to do it because I, I, it just seems like there's a path. If you have a franchise, you've got a path. And, you know, the vast majority of businesses that kick off, they generally fail within the first year. And I think a lot of that, and you can confirm or, or change my opinion here, is that they lack systems. They lack structure. And so they struggle to find their footing. But it seems to me, and I'm ignorant when it comes to franchises, but it seems to me that franchises give you that. They give you that structure. They give you those repeatable steps that allow you to grow your business. How far off am I? Yeah, no, you're singing it correctly. I, you know, I, I'd say... Yeah, franchising is not right for everyone. I'll start by saying that. You know, I, I, I'm a member of the entrepreneurs organization and some of those entrepreneurs that want to get franchise uh, businesses going on the side, I, I have to explain to them, you're too entrepreneurial. You know, franchising is not the right fit for you. Um, now, in turn, some of them love the idea of not having to recreate the wheel and, you know, get some, they've already been there, done that. So they love the idea of franchising. Uh, but no, you know, not to be too cliche, but you really are kind of starting on third base instead of first base. I mean, you know, there's a path to profitability. You know what steps it's going to take to get there. I think so many startups today, and a lot of them don't have product market fit or they don't understand, can this business actually be profitable? So they're trying to figure that, you know, if out instead of just jumping into uh, how. And so, uh, you know, I, I think with franchising, you do have some benefits laid in that go without saying. You've got that playbook or, you know, it could be the operations manual, it could be the marketing recommendations. It's been tried and true in other markets. You know, you've got the franchisor on the sidelines. That's kind of like a coach. You know, the better you do, the better they do. So, uh, having been a franchisor myself, you know, leaning in to support those owners around uh, around the country makes a big difference. Oftentimes, it's overlooked. But I think uh, you know other franchise owners around the country. Uh, you know, they're going through the same things you are. Maybe they've tried something, and you know, let's say a marketing vehicle, and it worked well for them. They can share those learnings with you. And so it just helps create kind of a shortcut for you. And of course, as you know, Larry, I mean, when you, whether it be a franchise or, or a traditional startup, when you're building a business, you're looking to build a revenue stream. Uh, you know, obviously you're able to write off expenses. There's some tax benefits to business ownership, but then third, you're also building an asset that should have exit value down the road. And um, you know, I think oftentimes this gets overlooked, but with franchising, Oftentimes it's a premium that people are willing to pay for an existing business that's that's part of a franchise system. 
there was a study done recently by the Rikers School of Business in which they looked at over 2,000 transactions that had taken place over a 10-year period. They looked at companies that were franchised, companies that were non-franchised in similar industries, and they compared uh, their exits. And they found that the multiple applied to franchise businesses was typically one and a half times their pure non-franchise business. Wow. And so there's a premium that the market sees. I mean, you see this with private equity. Private equity firms are gobbling up franchisors typically, sometimes franchisees, but typically franchisors because they love those basics of franchising that we just hit on. No, it's really interesting. Help me understand too, though, because you seem to focus, not seem to, I mean, it's it's definitely a focus of yours, non-food franchising. So why non-food and what are some of the benefits or, you know, what's kind of scary about the food side of things? Yeah, you know, there's a segment of the population that loves the food side and they're passionate about it. My background is not food. I would say about 95% of my clients don't want anything to do with food. They just feel there's an easier way to make money. I mean, there are a lot of ways to make money, but they're gravitating towards these other industries. And yet I found that oftentimes when you say the F word franchising, people think (laughs) fast food. And so I decided to create a category called non-food franchising. And that's uh and that's what we go out with. And, um, and it really does raise eyebrows. A lot of times, a lot of what I do is educating. And so I go on podcasts and do a lot of speaking, helping people understand all these other avenues to enter into franchising that don't involve your traditional fast food sector. So talk to me about some of those avenues. What are they? Yeah. You know, everything from property services to health and wellness. I mean, we've got B2B businesses such as bookkeeping, even marketing agencies. We've got business coaching Actually, it could be helpful just to mention a few of the placements we've done, you know, in the last two or three weeks. I had a client who was a former Wall Street attorney just outside of Boston, a recovering attorney, as he would say, (laughs) Uh, but he bought a gutter business, you know, never thought he'd be in gutters. And that's the fun part is over 80% of my clients end up in an industry they never thought they'd be in. But once we peel back the onion, understand what they, you know, the things they like, things they don't like, what they want that day to day to look like. I have a blast just introducing them to opportunities that, that they never knew existed. So anyway, he bought into the gutter business. I had uh, clients last week, a couple out in Arkansas uh, that worked for the University of Arkansas, and they bought a um, kind of a boutique fitness business that caters to those 50 and above, which is oftentimes an overlooked segment of the population when it comes to fitness. And yet they hold like 70% of the household wealth. And so it's just, it, they love the fact this is the only national brand in that space. I just, I mentioned the business coaching. I had a client up in Indianapolis three weeks ago that bought into a business coaching franchise up there where they give you all the tools and the ammo and the assessments and the curriculum that you need to be able to get out there and, you know, not just be a lone ranger in in that sphere. I've got a client later this week in Atlanta that's signing for a property management uh, franchise. You know, they, they own a large real estate brokerage. And I'd say probably more than half of my clients own real estate investments as well. And they see, Franchising is maybe being a round out of their portfolio or a nice compliment to some of their uh, other uh, investments. So anyway, he's buying into a property management franchise, but people I think coming out of COVID are really gravitating with kind of the non-sexy. You know, I say non-sexy is the new sexy. So I'm talking about things like oil changes. We just did a 10 unit oil change deal up in Charlotte recently. Uh, They love uh, roll off dumpsters. They love serve pro. I mean, serve pro, no matter what the government wants to do around lockdowns or even if we enter a recession, you know, when a pipe breaks, you still need to sure, <laughs> you yeah. need to need to repair. So I, I think COVID's caused a lot of people to kind of you know take a new look on uh, what's attractive to them from a business ownership standpoint. 
but you know, we're, we're still doing some sexy deals, things like IV drips or, um, you know, businesses like that. I mean, health and wellness, anything that boosts immunity that caters to the older population. There's, I always say people love, people love their health. They love their homes. They love their kids and they love their pets. So if you have a business that touches on any of those four, there's going to be a home for it. People are willing to part with their hard earned cash for those four bullet points there. So it's, how do you, I guess is how do you become the center point or the franchisor for so many different franchises? So I, I'm trying to piece all this together and I'm having a hard time following along how you fit into this as help me understand what's your role there. Yeah, I, I'm the guide. I'm the the ones ultimately brokering the deal. And so the great thing is none of my clients, it, it doesn't cost a dime for my clients and none, nothing gets passed on to them. So it's entirely free for them. The way it works is as you know, we've got 4,000 franchise brands, give or take in the US. Wow. R- roughly half of those are food. So let's just say, you know, two, that eliminates 2,000 from my sphere. Of those remaining 2,000, we have vetted those. We know the leadership teams of many of them. And we've really selected a little over 300 brands that we would be proud to put in front of our clients, brands that we've been able to go deep with. Uh, We meet with the majority of those twice a year. We'll spend uh, some time together at a conference. I'm affiliated with the FCC, which is the largest brokerage in the U.S. So that gives me access to all these emerging brands and development groups across the U.S. I can really keep a pulse on what's going on. So the way I fit into it is, I represent these franchisors. For them, it's a sales and marketing expense, how I get compensated. None of that gets passed on to my clients. And so I'm out there educating on these different types of opportunities to say, Larry in Dallas says, hey, I either want to jump into business ownership full time and maybe leave my corporate job or, hey, I like my day job or maybe I'm a current business owner. I'd like to get something going on the side. I would engage with you in a very streamlined process in which we have a couple of phone calls. I have you fill out some information and I'm able to create a profile and a framework from which we can view opportunities together. And I see what's resonating with others with similar backgrounds to you around the country. And so I'm able to then curate maybe a list of six or seven opportunities to present to you. And we walk through these together and discuss, you know, the different aspects of each one and you would narrow it down to two or three to actually then take the next step with and talk to the franchisor. I would tee you up for that and then hold your hand through the process as we ultimately determine that one that uh, could be the right fit for you. What's the barrier of entry for franchising? I mean, yeah, obviously you have to have a, a net worth of X depending on the franchise, I'm sure. What uh, on the lower end, where, where could people start getting into a franchising? Yeah, I'd say on the lower end, you know, most of the brands we work with, uh, you know, if your net worth, and this can include your home equity as well, if your net worth is below 150, I'd say let's, let's you know, maybe hold out a little bit longer and to, you know, work towards uh, building up that net worth. But if you have a net worth of 150 and above, you qualify for the majority of opportunities that we would be looking at. Wow. And that's not that you're necessarily putting in a huge cash infusion. I mean, some people obviously with cash on the sidelines right now are self-purchasing and some are using retirement plans. We have a way that we can do that that's tax advantageous. But a lot of people are using SBA loans. And so I'd say on the low end, one of the franchises that I bought last year with a business partner, we only capitalized the business at 90000 I'd say that's on the low end. I'd say most are probably 120 and above, but we put in 90,000. In our case, we self-funded. However, you know, a lot of my clients are using SBA loans. So let's say you're all in at 200. 
you know, you're probably putting in 20, 25% equity, if you will, to so call it 50,000 on the high end, and then using an SBA loan for that other 150 to fund the needs of the business. What are the odds of success on average for a, a franchiser? Yeah, you know, starting your own business, the odds of success are pretty well stacked against you. But with a franchise, it just seems like they'd be considerably higher. Uh, is that a true assumption on my part? It is. I mean, it, you know, your rate of failure is closer to 10 to 15%. So, you know, you've got 85, 90% succeeding. Wow. Now, having been a franchisor when I was with Shelf Genie and I got to serve as um, president over there, working with all of our franchise owners across North America, supporting them. Uh, Shelf Genie is custom pull-out shelving for your kitchens and pantries. That was our uh, field uh, that, that we operated in. Yeah, but I was supporting them by overseeing our marketing teams and our call center. And we had a technology team, product development. And I really got to see who was performing the best within the franchise system, who was just average, who were our lower tier. And what it came back to, and, and this sounds very basic and cliche, but it's so true. You know, those that did the best were the ones that were able to work well with people. And what I mean by that is they were able to attract a strong team, you know, on the recruitment side, they were able to incentivize and retain and build them up and run a good business. And then, you know, make tough calls when needed. You know, some of our more struggling franchisees would hold on to an installer for too long because installer kind of, you know, they, they felt dependent on them. So a lot of it comes down just to your basics of being able to work with people, just like in a W2 type job, except uh, obviously having a little more, uh, you know, drive here and having that vision pays dividends. That's that's interesting. I, it, hearing about franchising, and I mentioned before we came onto the show that I had spoke to somebody last week as well that was a, a franchise uh, franchisor. I'm still trying to get my terminology down. So, <laughs> and so I, I've had this influx of discussions over franchising, and I mean, it kind of you know, you almost catch the bug. It almost gets you to the point where you're like, man, this sounds like it could be so easy that I could jump in on this and there's an opportunity for some, for, you know, to, to build a business. And I should have cautioned earlier, nothing is easy. And you know, this uh, firsthand as well. And so sure. I always caution, nothing is easy, but if you're willing to put in some work, your rate of success is going to be much higher. It, of course, it comes down to you personally, your local market, all of that. But I mean, there, there's money to be had and it is eye-opening to people when we talk about franchising as an asset class and seeing that business ownership piece as a piece of your portfolio. Now, if you're running it on the side and you're not full-time, you've got to have a good general manager in place until you have a good one in place and it could be a headache for you. And so that's key, but you know, the gutter business and I'll say the financials on that one are, are pretty attractive. That's why an attorney is buying into a gutter business. Uh, but you're all an investment on that one. You're right around 140, 150, and because you don't have to do a build-out brick-and-mortar storefront. Instead, you can work remote. You, know, you have trucks and equipment and such. Uh, some marketing expenses. You've got the initial franchise fee. But all in, 150 will put you in a good place starting out of the gate. And their franchise owners across the country are averaging 1.2 million per location in revenue. That's not a given that you're going to do it, but that's their average across a large number of other owners. And they're dropping 380 to the bottom line. And so north of 30%, what I call EBITDA margin or essentially net income that you're putting in your pocket. Now, I'd say year one, you know, don't expect that. However, some of their franchise owners are doing that in year one. So the potential is there. It comes down to, you know, you as an individual being able to 
attract good people. And, uh, you know, labor market right now is, is the tough spot. You know, I hear from clients all across the country. And, and I think Dallas and Atlanta are in a little better position. Uh, we have a lot of growth. But, you know, as a business owner, you're playing whack-a-mole. Right now, sure. the mole is not on the demand side. There's customer demand across a lot of businesses. It's really on the labor side. And I do hear that it's getting better. And we've seen it in our own businesses here in Atlanta that it, it is improving as the government kind of pulls back a little bit. But still, that's the area of attention that uh, that most people are having to give right now. Well, John, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up because I'd like to just talk to you privately because I, I, suddenly I have a, a desire to have a, a gutter business. So we're going to wrap up. Thanks for listening. Every, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but... <laughs> But what are some of the pros and cons, though, when you're looking at, because, I mean, I could go and start a gutter business, right? So if I started my own gutter business as compared to uh, going with a franchise, whatever, the Gutters Are Us franchise, what are some of the pros and cons between the two of those? Yeah, well, well, you know, first off, a pro for you if you started your own business is you could do whatever the heck you wanted with it. You could rebrand it. You could, you know, really go outside the bounds. You don't have to, you don't have any guidelines, now, the con, which would be a positive for franchising, is the fact that, you know, again, you get that playbook, you get the coach. Now, could you do it without that? Yes. But will you make more mistakes? Most likely. And will it be a longer time to profitability? Most likely. Um, you know, oftentimes, like in the case of the gutter business, they're not reinventing the wheel. It's not that we have these uh, absolutely incredible gutters that make it never rain again. It, <laughs> instead, it's hey, we're bringing a white-collar approach to a fragmented blue-collar industry. So we're coming in, it's not just the brand and the brand awareness, but you're bringing in the technology. They've already got systems in place. You don't have to go find a CRM. You don't have to find a payroll provider, you know, invoicing. All of that is done for you. And so they take you through the training. And they a lot of this they've learned the hard way. I mean, they've made mistakes most likely along the way. But uh, it's a it's more turnkey. You're able to get up and running, able to get to profitability with more likely outcome. And again, your exit could be more attractive than if you were non-franchised. Now in turn, you do pay an upfront franchise fee. You are paying on going royalty. And so there are franchises out there that offer proprietary, you know, proprietary product. And I could rattle off quite a few of those. Um, so in those cases, you do have something very unique from the industry, but in a lot of cases, it really is putting that white collar approach on a blue collar industry. I mean, I know the home services space, it, which we're talking a good bit about here is one where it's very unprofessional. And when you do find someone that's professional, you talk about them, you go on your Facebook groups. I mean, my <laughs> wife finds all of our service providers from the Buckhead Atlanta Facebook moms group. Yeah. And, and, yeah. They, they, and they trust each other. And uh, that goes so much further than uh, other forms of marketing. So, uh, you know, in a business like that, your cost of customer acquisition is everything. I mean, that's going to determine your profitability number ultimately. And so if you can figure out ways to, to go about that, and, and again, you're gleaning the learnings from other markets where by running home shows, we had 40 customer acquisitions, you know, in a given weekend, you know, let's say versus having to spend on Google to acquire those 40. So um, I'd say that those are some of the differences. That's cool. You mentioned earlier something that kind of triggered me and and you were talking about, you could have a GM or a general manager that's running things, which would in a sense make, you know, we we hear about passive or at least semi-passive income quite a bit from an entrepreneurial perspective. And I mean, that's kind of the goal we want to be able to live the life that we want. We want to have our best life and we want to spend time with the family or pursue our hobbies or whatever it may be. So having that passive income is, is, is a huge part of entrepreneurship. 
is that is, is that a goal that we can accomplish with uh, with a franchise? Yeah, I'll start by saying, you know, everyone that I hang out with, uh, you know, socially or, you know, from a business standpoint, uh, close friends, we talk about this concept all the time. You're exactly right, Larry. Of how do we get to that point of not trading time for money? And we mm-hmm. create more and more diversified, semi-passive revenue streams. You know, unless you're just handing money over to your advisor, which, you know, I, probably most people are doing anyway, you're that's passive. When you are owning a business, that's semi-passive and it, or we call it semi-absentee oftentimes. And so if you want to run it that way, um, there's definitely best practices. I've got a client, uh, it's a good case study, Nathan Bocock over in Columbia, South Carolina, 39 years old. Uh, he built the two men in a truck moving service franchise. He, he expanded that to nine or 10 locations, runs about a $30 million business. In turn, he's built up a nice little team and he and I did two, uh, two deals together last year outside of two minute truck where he bought a driveway business in one, he bought a smash trash smashing business down in Charleston with the other one. But in both cases, he put guys that he largely sourced through church. He got to know them personally and trusted them. And they're like 26, 27 years old. He said, Hey, go run this business, make us proud. I'm going to provide very little guidance or handholding once you're out of the gate. And since then, they've come back and bought additional locations from me, you know, uh, wow. within the first year. So, I mean, very positive, um, you know, but I, I think of one of the case studies here in Atlanta, I, you know, several partners and I, and I've got partners on different businesses. We had a home cleaning and carpet cleaning and pool cleaning businesses. But we had a GM, nice guy, sharp guy. We thought we didn't stay close enough to him. And he kind of took some of the businesses off the rails for a little while. So, you know, we had to replace them and you live and learn. And, um, you know, I, I think of, uh, there's two other guys in Atlanta. We recently did a big oil change deal together. These guys have also built up a flooring business, non-franchised, and they're now franchising the flooring business. They bought into an oil change franchises, franchisees, and then they've got a property management business. They've got a crypto fund and it's just, you know, but it's one thing at a time. And then they put someone in charge, then they move on to the next thing. Sure. So, you know, it sounds great on paper, I will say nothing is easy, but if you're willing to kind of figure out, you know, how you operate, how you work with people, there's less that you have to figure out once you step into franchising because that model is there for you to step into. So then why wouldn't we do it? Why wouldn't everybody that qualifies to what, 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 I mean, what are the real dangers there? I mean, it sounds like franchising is just like, it's like the greatest thing since the wheel. Again, I, I'm trying to get across it. It's not for everyone. Some people are too entrepreneurial and it's, and it's not easy, but, but there's a reason why I do what I do. It's, there's a reason why I do what I do. I love helping people get into business ownership and I love the successes when they come back and make referrals and they come back and buy additional locations. I mean, that's where I get my validation. Um, and so with franchising, it is, uh, it definitely is incredibly popular right now. I think coming out of COVID more and more people are wanting to scratch that entrepreneurial itch and they're questioning the path that they've been on. And so, I mean, our placements year to date have doubled what we did last year, which doubled what we did the year before. And so I'd say it's a renaissance of sorts. And I think people are wising up to the fact there are a lot of ways to make money within franchising. And so it is a fun time. It is really competitive too. Uh, in a market like Dallas or Atlanta, um, those good brands, when they launch, you know, and maybe they've got 10 or 15 locations elsewhere. So they're still early, but if they're onto something, Atlanta and Dallas sell out like that. So I'm constantly positioning my candidates and clients against other ones. You really are pitching me right now, aren't you? This is a, you're, you're trying to lock me down into a franchise. I can feel it. 
I can feel it. I can. I know it. We're we're gonna have a conversation after this. You know, it's ironic because I used to own a swimming pool company. I started it from scratch and I built it up to the point where I had so many clients with that. Uh, it, it was an off brand. I mean, Pristine Pool and Spa Service was the name of it. And I grew it to the point where, and this was probably 15 years ago or so. I was still in that 21 year career. I think that I mentioned before we came on the uh, the episode with that one company. And it got to the point where I either had to jump ship and go do pristine pool and spa full time, or I had to sell it. And to this day, sometimes, well, a lot of times, I sit back and I kind of regret not having that testicular fortitude to make that <laughs> jump and really grow the business. Because I can't imagine what it is today. And it's so funny that we're having this conversation because I went to uh, I, I went to church yesterday morning. And the gentleman that I sold the company to, he's the father-in-law of a friend of mine. And I actually went to church with a friend of mine. And his father-in-law was there. And Gary came up to me and goes, you know what, man, even after all these years, he goes, I still, when I go to Home Depot, they ring everything up to pristine pool and spa service. So I'm like, man, it just kind of, it just stabs me a little bit in the heart. You know, because I'm like, golly, I, I just, I just know it could have been something massive. And, and you know, I, I sold it, made a nice little profit on the deal, but I, I still, you know, I think, could it have been a franchise, especially talking to you today? Just imagine if we had pristine pool and spa franchises all over the place. It'd yeah. be so cool. Oh, no, the pool industry has been booming. We just got our first pool and everyone I know is getting a pool. I mean, coming out of COVID. So, no, it would have done well, I, I, I do believe. Um, I had a call this morning with a friend here in Atlanta that owns a uh, luxury diamond store, which probably every diamond store is luxury, I guess. But um, yeah, they're doing 4 million a year, 28% bottom line margins. I mean, he's doing great. Doesn't need to expand, but he, you know, he's getting requests that why don't you franchise this? You know, you've got a great model that's going to increase your distribution. And so uh, we're starting to talk about, you know, going down that path and whether it makes sense for them. Um, you know, if you're a business and you're thinking about scaling, Franchising should be considered. It's not right for everyone, but it, it is a way that you're able to, you always want people, employees acting like owners, right? And so with franchising, you can get essentially that buy-in and that skin in the game where people are actual owners. They know their local community and they're incentivized and you, know, you can sometimes buy in bulk or you can uh, you know, get some synergies with um, services providers, let's say. And definitely on the franchisor side, you're working towards that nice exit where, you know, like I said, private equity sees the value in, um, in franchisors. And now, on the flip side, having been a franchisor, I let people know that, you know, it's a great way to scale. You're using other people's money. There are a lot of benefits. On the downside, you wake up one morning and you've got kids all around the country with expectations of you. And it, it will change your day to day, you know, and, and understanding that dynamic with the franchisee and how you support them is so important. And if you don't have a background in franchising, I, I encourage new franchisors to surround themselves with some people with an experience in franchising. I just think that's a dynamic and a relationship that uh, that you need to have. So, yeah, it's exciting. I mean, we're seeing just some fascinating, you know, waterless car wash, uh, you know, recently came online as a franchise. We're seeing. Did you say waterless car wash? Yeah. Yeah. That's They've got a spray that you spray on the car. It deionizes the dirt and everything. Then it possibly charged ion cloth that wipes it down. So they do pop-ups and, you know, retailer parking lots, parking garages, or they, they've got an app. It's, you know, the Uberized uh, car wash. Everyone's <laughs> Uberizing everything these days of course. Where, where it's on demand and they'll come to you. So, you know, and, and it's done wildly well in other countries, about 15 countries, 30 locations in Ireland where they're from. And, 
and they're in about seven or eight U.S. markets now. But we're seeing more and more of those kind of newer models that are emerging that, uh, you know, harness technology. They can't necessarily be replaced by Amazon, which people like Amazon resistant uh, when it comes to businesses. But they harness technology in a way that others in their space don't. So I'd say that's a, another big differentiator oftentimes with the brand versus, you know, that fragmented market. So what should we look out for? I mean, if I'm seriously considering buying a franchise, what are some of the pitfalls? What are some dangers that I should be on the lookout for? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, going in and again, thinking that it's easy. I mean, you're still working with people, you're still hiring, you're still building customer base. I mean, in some cases, you know, the franchise will provide some national accounts since you're able to draft off of those, you know, as far as in your local territories. But I'd say understanding, you know, very uh, going in, eyes wide open as to how much time commitment you can put in uh, when you need a return from that investment. You know, are you in for the short run or the long run? What is your end game? Uh, you know, is there a partner or you know, how's your spouse feel about it? And so I'd say those are some of the considerations, you know, but it, it does make sense for a lot of people, I think at this stage. And uh, you know, I think it's worth exploring, even if you're a little bit unsure you know, again, most of my clients, I'd say, have real estate investments. I mean, I've owned some single family, you know, home real estate investments in the past. And yeah, I think that oftentimes that mindset, you know, is you think about, hey, I'm not going to be totally hands off, but I'm going to have a little bit of a hand in there. I see the tax benefits. I like the idea of building an asset. I mean, we know the government's printing money right right now. And so to me, the most powerful forces out there are, you know, like it or not, federal government and the central bank, you know, within a country. And so right now, how do I best align myself with their policies knowing, you know, skating to where the puck's moving, not where it is today. And I think that's, you know, things like you know, real estate investment or, or small business ownership where you still get some favorable tax treatments. You can still raise prices, you know, uh, to, to keep your margins whole. But I, I think just, uh, you know, the mindset of how do we, what are industries that are right for disruption? You know, it kind of sticking with that property services theme, one of the hottest franchises last year was an insulation business, $52 billion B2B, B2C market, non-sexy as can be, but they made it sexy and they came in and I've seen Harvard MBAs buying into that insulation business. And so um, the great thing is with franchising, you don't have to have a background. Oftentimes the franchisor kind of wants you not to, so you're not entering with baggage Yeah, yeah. Um, and they'll, and they'll train you, they'll train you. So if you go in, you're willing to learn and you're open-minded I'd say that's the biggest thing. So, and, and it sounds like it's pretty straightforward. And, and one of the questions that I had, though, and you've kind of answered it, is how do I pick the right franchise for me? Yeah, I, again, I've got a background in pools. Would I could just jump in there and do another pool franchise? Or you got lawyers jumping into gutters. You've got other investors jumping into insulation. You've, you've got all these the just people that are going into these random trades, per se. Is there a wrong franchise? Well, and I'll say there are probably more lawyers in the gutters today than you realize. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's little, funny little you say pun, that. Because, little pun intended there. It's huh? funny because I was sitting here when, we first, <laughs> when you first said that. I'm like, man, there is a lawyer joke in there, but I'm, I'm going to be respectful and I'm not going to say it. But we still we still went there. So thank we, you. We're thinking, we're thinking the same way there. No, it's, uh, you know, ultimately I mean, there are a lot of different dimensions. And I've mentioned the framework, but it's that lens through which you look at opportunity A and opportunity B and you compare and contrast the two. And, and that's, that's where, you know, I feel like I can add a lot of value having been a franchisor and a franchisee. And again, I'm talking with hundreds of people across the country with backgrounds, some of which probably resemble yours to a degree. I'm seeing what is resonating even outside of my clients, other consultants, clients, I'm seeing 
who is doing what. And I've got a pretty good vibe on, on, uh, you know, what's going on. So, you know, again, going back to that example, Larry, we're walking through, you know, you share with me, Hey, here's how much time I can put in. Here's how much money I can put in. Here's what, I, what kind of return I want to get. I really, really like the idea of infusing technology. I like small team or a large team. I, you know, I've got a buddy that has good relationships in this industry. I might be able to tap into them. And, and so we kind of start peeling back the onion, talking through those different dimensions. And then I bring you opportunities. We typically do like a, a zoom screen share and we would look at the websites, look at six or seven opportunities, sometimes eight opportunities that are available in your market in your targeted area. And we talk through each of those and you say, gosh, John, you know, oftentimes I hear, I don't know how to narrow this down. And so we, we <laughs> keep talking through it, but we try to get down to a manageable number. So say three of them, I then make the introductions. You have a phone call with each. We regroup after those phone calls and I, you know, you, and I serve as a sounding board. Um, you might say, Hey, that one's different than how you described it, John. I, I don't want to go forward with that one. Let's focus on these other two for now. Continue with a few more calls with the franchisor. They're getting into numbers. They're introducing you to other franchise owners in their system. So you can do what we call validation. So you get to hear, Hey, what's your experience been? How's your ramp up been? You know, what kind of support did you receive from the franchise or anything you would do differently? And so between that and getting exposed to the franchise disclosure document, which is the FDD, this big hundred page document, every franchise system has one and goes through all the financials and the averages. It goes through, um, you know, the history of the business, what kind of support they're providing, what your fees are, all aspects the goal is for you to go in eyes wide open at the end of the day. And I'm holding your hand through that process, letting you, you know, validating true concerns that you should have as well as validating or confirming that you don't need to worry about that. Cause that's how you know everyone is. Yeah. But we talk about funding sources. We've got some great partners in there. I've got a great legal resource. You know, if it gets to that point of wanting to, you know, bring in an attorney to review the document with you. And so, you know, I love what I do because there's just been so many success stories that, you know, I mean, I, I've had clients that have moved for an opportunity because the opportunity wasn't in their market. I'd say that's rare, but sometimes that does happen. And I mean, it's totally uh, life-changing and, and their spouses thank me because now they're going to have more free time. And again, it's not day one. You've got to put in the sweat and the grind, sure. but that opportunity is there to potentially build your own empire instead of you know someone else's empire. It's actually really inspiring. It's exciting to hear those opportunities that are out there, especially in today's climate, because, you know, there's so much uncertainty going on right now. And it sounds like for the right person, a franchise could provide a little security or even a lot of security in what is otherwise a fairly, as I just said, uncertain time. So, uh, John, tell people where they can get a hold of you and find out more information about what your services are and, and, and how they can reach out. Yeah, certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. I, I try to put some good content out uh, most days out there. And then come out to our website, franbridgeconsulting.com, F-R-A-N. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes, franbridgeconsulting.com. Sign up for our newsletter. I'll also reach out to you after you sign up and, uh, you know, would love to schedule a 10 or 15 minute call. Just hear your story, share some thoughts, help you uh, determine whether it makes sense to kind of go down this path and explore opportunities. Again, the process is entirely free on my end, which is great. And none of that gets passed on to my clients. Um, but I love engaging and uh, you know sharing some thoughts. I've got great resources I can send over as well. So yeah, please do sign up for our newsletter, connect with me on LinkedIn, and uh, we'll take it from there. Cool deal. Well, John, thank you so much for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. This was a great combo, and I'm walking away smiling. So uh, it, it gets me excited. The opportunities that are out there are, are definitely engaging for sure. Enjoyed it, Larry. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. 
Hey, everybody. Thank you once again for listening to You Are the Boss. You're the boss. So keep that in mind. And this is a perfect opportunity to leverage that saying and maybe even be your own boss with a franchise. So if you like what you heard today, do me a favor. If this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button and join me every Tuesday, 6 a.m. The episodes drop. You can start your Tuesday off with another awesome episode of You're the Boss. So until then, thank you for joining me. I'll talk to you soon. You've just listened to You're the Boss with Larry Roberts. Join us for our next episode where we help you achieve your goals and live your absolute best life. Be sure to subscribe, connect, and share. Until next time, remember, you're the boss.